listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Hey, I was kind of thinking this morning, I think some yesterday too, I was thinking about um, kind of funny ways um, that Christians use sort of like Christianese, like Bible uh, type words, just kind of in, in their everyday language. I, I'm forgetting the first example. I thought of one right back there. I'm going to forget it. Um, oh man, it was really good. Anyway, here, I'll go with the one that I had planned. So it's kind of funny. Um, Hannah, you just gave me a really funny look like it was just really funny the way you looked at me just now. It was awesome. Um, so one of the things that we like to do um, is uh, we like to say, whether it's true or not sometimes, that we're going to pray about something, right? <laughs> like, um, like someone like says, hey, man, like I, uh, my family's moving to another house this weekend. I, I could really use your help. We're like, hey, man, let me, let me pray about that and I'll get back with you, right? And you have no intention, right, of like getting back with that person. Here's, here's another example. Um, man, how many times... Has God been blamed for a breakup? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, well, I just feel like God's telling me to be single during this. Okay, hey, caveat, I know there are legitimate times that happens, but God has been blamed a lot of times for breakups. And the reality is like, man, it's just no connection anymore, right? Like it's just, it's over, it's done. It's like, let's slap God on there to kind of finalize the breakup, kind of sort up. Like it's done, it's over, right? Um, we do funny things like that in Christianity. We use... Uh, different uh, terminology to mean different things. Uh, we, th- we throw out words such as, as love and, 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 and grace and, and faith and things like that. And those can mean a variety of things. But, you know, I'm kind of joking about those examples. Uh, I, I've been guilty of doing things like that before. Even, or even saying like, oh yeah, for sure, like, I'll, I'll pray about that. And it's like, hey man, like you actually didn't pray about that, right? But there are kind of more serious ways that we can use terminology, we can use words. And I hope that you've seen that. Like when we talk about scripture, when we talk about the word of God, what do we actually need to believe when we say the word, you know, scripture or the Bible? And then what do we actually need to believe when we say the word Jesus, uh, Christ? When we talk about Christ alone, what does that mean? And so tonight, what we're entering into is a combination of what is the, the third and fourth truths of our five series. And that is grace alone and faith alone. And so I I guarantee you, how many of you have heard outside of a Christian context, the word faith? For sure. Like we, like you hear that all the time, hey, just have, just have faith, just believe. And I'm like, and what? You know, like, and, or you can, some people say, hey, I'm going to give what? I'm going to give you some grace, right? So we, we hear these terms. Um, We know that they're good words. And so the question I want to answer tonight for us um, all joking aside about blaming God for dating and saying that we're going to pray about stuff when we don't. Here's the real question. What roles do God's grace and our faith play in the life of a Christian? Okay. Another word, um, another way to say this is when we're speaking about grace and faith, how are those things acting in our lives? So in what way is God's grace impacting us, has impacted us, will impact us, and in what 
what role does faith have? When we talk about faith, how is it like relevant? Like right now, when you're leaving tonight, like how is it gonna be so important and why is it gonna be so important for you to have kind of listened into God's word tonight? And so we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10. I'd love if you would turn there and read with us. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Oh, this this gets good. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been what? Saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What role do God's grace and our faith play in the Christian life? Let's go back to verses two and three. We're gonna kind of weave these truths together. We're not gonna be like straight through like one through 10, that we're gonna find these truths in different sections of this passage. In verses two through three, it says things like this, that these are the things you once walked in, your trespasses and sins. You were following what? The course of this world? You were following the prince of the power of the air, the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Like, this is super encouraging, right? Like, man, you should feel really good about yourself right now. Okay, hey, so what role does this play? What role does grace play? In the life of a Christian, God's grace met us. Not when everything was going great. God's grace met us in rebellion against God. Okay, so let's look kind of break this passage down. It says, in which you once walked. I want you to understand something. Every single person in this room, saved or unsaved, you have footprints that remain on the path of rebellion against God. You see that? We've all been there. We've all been in a place and many people in the world still today where we are shaking our fist of rebellion against God. That's, that's how we're walking. That's how we once walked. That's how we once lived. And then it says that we were following kind of a weird title, the prince of the power of the air. Now, who is that? Satan. That's right. So here, this is Satan. You can... You can Throw that into titles. Like, I don't know if you're 
like grandparents do this, but I felt like my grandparents have so many like names for Satan. You know what I mean? Like, like they're just really creative, like slew foot. Like it's one I'm like, where does that come from? I don't, I, I don't even know where that's from, but here's another title for Satan, the prince of the power of the air. And it's saying that we once walked and lived in his way. That as Christians, we were sons and daughters of disobedience, not of God. We were children of wrath, not children of God. Basically, we were children, wait for it, of Satan. Now that sounds intense, right? Because, man, that, wow. That really debunks the whole, we're all children of God thing, doesn't it? Like talking about everybody. We're all created by God and for him in the image of God. But in steps Ephesians 2, like don't, don't look at me, man, like, like children of wrath. And so we follow him on that path. He led the way. The Holy Spirit, before we were believers, the Holy Spirit wasn't calling the shots. He wasn't leading us. Satan was calling the shots. And it says this, that we were in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. I think I used this in our first Corinthians series, but it'd be like me, like right now, like I can be so driven by my passions and my flesh. Like right now, honestly, I'm a sucker for Taco Villa. I don't know, do y'all like Taco Villa? Yeah, like it would be like, I just leave here in the middle of the sermon and go. Like if I were ultimately craving into my passions of the flesh, I'm out of here. Y'all, good luck. Somebody come up here, read it. Colin, you got it, brother? All right, no, he, he didn't want to do it. Um, so it's just, we're so naturally, if we have a craving, we have a desire, we just do what we want to do. And it was regardless of what God's will was. And it says this, it says, this is so important. It says, like the rest of mankind. And see, this is what we have to see. This is all of us. This isn't like a beating session where we get to come in and learn how bad. Like, this is the state that all mankind is. This is our default. A bunch of children of wrath, children of disobedience, under the influence of Satan, under his control. But get this. This is where God's grace meets us. Amen? You can amen, like not just for older people. Amen, right? All right, this is where God's grace meets us. So look, are any of y'all like me and you have what I call grace dementia? Like, like you forget how much grace you've been given? Like can, can you forget maybe if, if you are a believer, that moment in time where you, you like did believe, everyone made a big deal about it and you were so excited, you know what I'm talking about? And it doesn't matter if you were a little kid or you were a teenager or maybe even in your time in the journey or young adult age or wherever you're at. We can remember that excitement. Like you knew so much the magnitude of God's grace because I, I think this is why. I think you knew the magnitude of what had been done for you, right? You knew what you had been rescued from. And so if you're anything like me, I can have grace dementia. And I can forget that God's grace met me not in a place where I had all my stuff together, but where my life was a total mess, where I was actually an enemy of God. If we're children of the enemy of God, then we're the enemy of God. And so here's, here's my, my cure, I think, for myself and for us tonight, that we need to cure our grace dementia with a daily reminder of what? Where God's grace met us. Remember where God's grace met you. You did not work your way up to him. You didn't toil and climb a ladder. Okay, God, I'm up far enough. Can you take me from here? No. It was when you were running and kicking and screaming away from anything that had to do with God where he met you in that beautiful place. 
And so remember where he met you and also remember where he brought you. Namely, to the gospel. God's grace led you there. And look, I, I, know, I know this passage is hard. I know this kind of is in, um, in conflict with or the opposite of how we typically think about ourselves in light of a holy and righteous God. Some people say, I, I wasn't this horrible sinner. I just had chosen not to believe in Jesus yet. That's as simple as it was. Or someone can say, I was just generally a good person. And, and I get your heart. I know where you're coming from. But my question would be, what, what is your standard for good? Because Isaiah 64 verse 6 says that our good works to God are like filthy rags. The best we have to offer in terms of righteousness and goodness. Who was your allegiance to before you became a Christian? Because in Matthew 12, 30, it says that whoever is, Jesus says that whoever is not with me is against me. That doesn't sound like a place I'd want to be, offering filthy rags and against Jesus. That doesn't sound like a very good state to be in. And so basically what we have to, if we're thinking like this, if we're saying, no, I, I wasn't, that, I, was, I, was, I was good. I was, I was good enough for God. I just, you know, kind of made a small little step toward Jesus. Listen, we have to ask, are our thoughts about that, are they coming from a Christian lens? Are they coming from scripture? Are they coming from something we made up? Are they coming from a biblical worldview or from an American worldview? Because I got news for you. There are different things, especially. They're going to continue to be different things. A biblical worldview and an American worldview. What our culture says about us apart from Christ is very different than what the Bible says. And so what happens, friends, is we can all suffer from grace dementia, but what we need to do, why it's so important, is to remind ourselves daily two things, where God's grace met you and where it brought you. So what roles do God's grace and our faith play in the life of a Christian? In our lives, it met us in a state of rebellion, okay? And there's, there's good news coming. Let's hang in there. But you gotta know, you gotta be lost before you're found. You gotta know where you came from to appreciate where you are, all right? And so let's go forward. In Ephesians chapter two, again, verse one, it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. All right, that's, we're gonna read that. And now look at verses five through six. It's going to say another word. And when we were dead, this is the second time, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so in the life of a Christian, we know that God's grace met us in rebellion against God. And get this, verse 1 and 5 through 6 make it very clear. God's grace brought us from death to life. It says, you, you were dead. You, you can do some research and maybe see if there's, I mean, there's so many Bible versions, like none of them are gonna say you were barely breathing. None of them are gonna say just, just kind of hanging in there, being a good person. They're gonna say we were all dead in our sin. So but the idea is, hey, what a good picture of how well you contribute to your salvation, look inside an occupied casket and look at that body. Is it contributing to much? Do dead bodies make decisions? That is the exact picture, guys. That's the type of conclusion we should be drawing. We offered nothing to God when his grace 
brought us from death to life. But it's good stuff. It says what? That God, in verse four, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. And so what I want you to understand, we're talking about grace and faith tonight, but him being rich in mercy. When God is rich in mercy, there's, grace can be a gift. You receive something you don't deserve. Mercy is the idea of not getting what you do deserve. And yes, I'm, 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 I got my, my foot on the serious pedal for a few more minutes. Y'all hang with me. Actually, for about 25 more minutes, all right? And so... I lost my train of thought because I made a joke. <laughs> Whenever, see, I, I just totally lost my train of thought. With God being rich in mercy, what that means is that we all deserve what? We, we, we all deserve hell. Like I don't even, as, as a pastor, I, I don't even deserve to be up here right now. There's nothing I, I did. The, the moment I sinned against him was a long, long time ago. I don't even deserve it, but he is so rich in mercy. Do you realize that people that are never going to believe in, like, that never have any interest, even those people, they get to remain alive. They get to utilize the, the lungs that God has given them and, and, and the breath and the ability to speak to even. God is so rich in mercy, he allows them to speak things about him that are false or, or blasphemous. Instead of striking them like that. And then for, for us, before we met Christ, he allowed us to live in daily, constant rebellion. That's, that's rich mercy. Our creator. I, I can tell you, like, I, I'm, I'm a dad of a newborn, and even though she's so tiny, it's so hard to be patient and merciful. It's like, stop crying, you know what I mean? And we cry all the time about dumb stuff, you know? And God is so merciful. Like, this is a mercy we can't fathom. It's rich. But the good news is we don't, we don't just have neutrality with God. He's not just like, I'm not going to kill them, but man, they make me mad. He's not, that's not how God sounds. I hope not. And that's not what God says. He says this, that he made us alive. And so we go back to the scene of the body in the casket. How strange would it be you're at a funeral and you see that body raise up and start looking around. Like they're, that's pretty crazy, right? Like that's unheard of. That's insane. That's miraculous. That should be shocking. That should do something to your senses. And that's the picture that we're getting. Totally spiritual dead brought to spiritual life. That's what we've experienced as believers. When we see the story of Lazarus coming out of the tomb, as Jesus said, come out, those are biblical pictures for us to kind of see like that's what's happening to us when God raises us to beautiful spiritual life. He does something in a word called regeneration where he revives us and gives us new life. Ezekiel 36, 26 says that he gives us a new beating heart that replaces that heart of stone with a heart that beats to the rhythm of redemption and life found in Jesus. I remember um, in, a, in a time where uh, Caitlin was doing some intense discipleship with some of these girls in a place that we lived uh, I remember seeing this girl one week before she became a believer and one week after. And I remember kind of always thinking internally, like, man, she looks so gloomy and just 
hopeless, like there, there wasn't life in her. I always kind of thought that, I never spoke that to her. Um, and then I saw her a week after. And it was like she was a totally different person. Like, like she was smiling, she was radiant. I'm not saying just when you become a Christian, you're supposed to be smiling all the time. But there was change in her. In a very real sense, it was like she, she had this deadness that was removed and there was life in her. She was vibrant. She was joyful. She was recounting the things that God had done for her. And that's because this verse is true. It really, he really does bring us from death to life. And so she was so thankful, guys. I remember watching her. She was so thankful for what God had done in her life. And so my application on this point is we need to daily give praise and thanks to the one who has resurrected us. Y'all see that sense? You're, yeah, like, I know, like, none of us in here have physical resurrected bodies. If you do, like, come talk to me. That's pretty cool. All right? But in a spiritual sense, when you, when you read the resurrection story of Jesus, you know that in Christ that's happened to you in a spiritual sense. You know that, right? That's amazing. And so we thank God for that. We, were that. we were that dead body in that casket that raised up. We were that miracle. We're alive. And I, and I know to, it's tempting to, to just see ourselves as not spiritually dead, but maybe just a little sick, right? I mean, a sick person can at least acknowledge that they need medicine, right? I do that all the time. Look at COVID. Hey, you got symptoms? All right. Come on in. Like we know that. that this is perfect terminology right now. Oh, he's just got a little virus. He'll be fine. Man. You know, if the Bible said that we were sick, then yes. In a spiritual sense, you'd have been able to see the gospel as your medicine and your cure. But you know what it describes us as? Dead. Dead people don't like take medicine. They don't go look for a cure. They definitely don't make decisions to believe in Jesus. And so the beauty is, is that God went so far, the lengths that he went, it's crazy, to actually also, actually also, <laughs> breathe spiritual life into us out of our deadness, that we might be able to what? To actually see him awaken and see him as the glorious, beautiful savior that Jesus is. He even granted us the ability to rightfully see the gospel as true because dead people don't do that. When you sing the song, Amazing Grace, you know what? The reason why it's so hard to sing it passionately, oh, that's an old song, is because sometimes the amazing part gets taken out in a functional sense. And what I'm encouraging us tonight, friends, is that we need to put the amazing back into grace. This is the kind of grace that is amazing when the writer wrote the song. It's the grace that the old hymn is talking about. And so what roles do God's grace and our faith play in the life of a Christian? First, God's grace meets us in rebellion, and then it brings us from death to life. It's truly amazing grace. Y'all hang with me? Thumbs up if you are. Y'all hang with me? We good? Sweet. What roles do grace and faith play? Y'all look at verses 8 through 10 in chapter 2. It says this. Some of you have this memorized, don't you? But a lot of you have it memorized. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, in the life of a Christian, what role is grace playing? God's grace 
is an unmerited gift. What's the song of reckless love? And what's the, what are the lyrics? I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. It's unmerited. And so look at these words. It says, by grace we've been what? Saved. Do y'all know when, when the Bible uses this word saved, that even in the grammar of this word, you, you can't, you can, it doesn't say I saved myself. It doesn't say I participated with God. It says that you were saved. It was something God did for you and it's perfect. It's completed too. So that's really important too that we don't fear of losing our salvation because it was an act of God who is perfect and our creator and the worker of all things good. He did it. So it's nothing that we lose. It's been accomplished by God through Christ. He said, it's finished. It is finished. It's not your own doing, not a result of works. There's no boasting. And so here's, here's what's hard. In our American worldview, we typically struggle with, the, with unmerited grace because we have always been taught. How many of you have been told, if you just work hard enough, you can do whatever you want to do, right? That was said to most of us um, as an encouragement so that it's kind of a reversal of previous generations who were told, no, you're going to stay here. You're going to work for the family company. You know, so I get that. I'm going easy on generations that told us that. But what we're wired to think is that what, is that what the outcome of our life is, we must have worked for that. Or the outcome that we want from our lives must come from a direct result of what we've done. And so what we do is we apply that to Christianity, right? We think, if I am saved, then I must have done something to make that happen, to bring that about. God must have looked at me and said, man, they're a little bit better than the others. And so what happens when we think that way is we, we do several different things. One is we try to earn the gift. God's grace is a gift given to us. So we try to earn it. Do all these things. When we miss church, like we feel instantly guilty, not because it's good together, but because we're like, oh man, I, I better go to two services this next week, right? When we sin and we fall into temptation that we've been kind of continuing to, to battle, we think, man, I don't, I don't, are the scales level again? I just want to make sure I'm right with God. So we try to earn it. And then number two, we're scared that we'll lose the gift. Now we know the logic of how terrible it would be if someone on your birthday gives you a gift and then and then takes it back right that's just mean right all right we know that on a human level to think about God he's the good perfect giver of any gift and it calls grace a gift we're not going to lose it and then third sometimes what we do is we we just don't ever open up and enjoy the gift it just kind of sits on the table for years and years and years and we never realize this has been given to me freely because of nothing I did. We never open it up and see the beauty of the gospel and God's love and just enjoy that and rest in that. And what's funny is the first two things we do, we try to earn it. We're scared we'll lose the gift. Even our good works are laid out for us. And God, look at, look at verse 10. It says, we are his workmanship. means that we're created by God for God, created in Jesus for what? Good works, which God, check this out, this is crazy, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So as we live out the Christian life, God has already gone ahead and planned what we would do. Like at, at any point where you're doing really well and you're being faithful, you're like, hey, God, look at me. You know, like, look what I did. I bet you didn't see that coming. That's, that's not how it works. Instead, when we're walking with the Lord, 
and doing good and living in his will, we say, God, thank you so much for going before. Thank you so much for going before me and being present and knowing what I would encounter. I'll give you an example. I had a beautiful, wonderful, amazing conversation this morning with someone in our journey family. And, and I prayed before um, with them and God just Man, would you just lead us and, and guide us like I know um, that you have the answer for us. You have the ability to bring clarity to this. And we both walked out of that time just encouraged and blessed. And you know why? God, God had laid that out, that moment out. He wasn't up in heaven scrambling each second that that conversation went, okay, let's do this. No, he had it laid out for me. He wanted me to walk in that. And so it, it Going back to the birthday analogy, it really is. It's kind of like, it, it's your birthday. Like, you ever thought about, like, you, when it's your birthday and people give you gifts, like, you didn't actually do anything to deserve that. Like, people literally throw you parties. Like, hundreds, and it depends on, I mean, who your family is, too. Like, thousands sometimes of dollars. If you're a celebrity, millions, who knows, are, are spent on you to give you gifts just because you were born like everyone else was born. Isn't that crazy? And just in case you, you didn't think about this, like ask your mom and the labor and delivery people, you didn't contribute. You didn't. Some of them had to like turn you and do all this crazy stuff. Some moms had to get C-sections. Like it's a mess. We didn't do anything. Poor Eleanor. She's got an embarrassing life ahead of her. Say all things like that. I really think that's, the, that's a picture that God wants us to have. You're talking about millions of dollars. How about all the riches of mercy and grace that God has available? How about that? He pours out and gives it to us. Not because of who we are, what we did, not because of our skin color, who your mama or your daddy is, what you're gonna do someday or what you didn't do. Man. And so when we truly understand and behold the gospel, when we see his marvelous grace, we, we don't allow the grace that he's given us. We don't allow, sometimes our default is, oh yeah, God's gonna give me grace, I'm just gonna go do this. I'm gonna do whatever I want. But here, here's the thing. When you truly encounter and understand what you're looking at and what has been done for you in Christ, that grace, guess what, is transformative. That grace actually changes you from the inside out. It, it, it makes you a new person, a new creation. You begin to, as we discussed last week, embrace Jesus as the king. And you're like, hey, whatever my way was before, it's, it's aligned with your way now. Whatever you say, my, my savior, king, my lord, my God. So grace is transformative. What roles do grace and faith play in the life of a Christian? Grace meets us, right, in rebellion. And as we just said, in the life of a Christian, God's grace is an unmerited gift. It brings us from death to life. And, and here's the last thing we're gonna talk about tonight. I want you to go back to verse eight because we haven't talked about faith yet and that's very important. It says, for, for by grace you have been saved through what? Good. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of 
God. So in the life of a Christian, now check this out. Everything that we've talked about grace, it meets us in rebellion. It brings us from death to life. It's an unmerited gift. It's, and because of that, it's transformative. It changes us. Aren't you asking or wondering or wouldn't you if you'd never heard this before? How do I get me some of that, right? So check this out. In the role, with the role of faith in the life of a Christian, we obtain all of this grace we've been talking about through faith. We are saved on the basis, what does it say? By grace through faith. You want a taste of the goodness of, of God? You, you want this grace? You believe it. And so here, here's the problem. Uh-oh. What is faith? Right? What is faith? And so I've referenced some things, really helpful insight that came out of some doctrines that came out of the Protestant Reformations. They were, they, they were Reformation. I've had lots of little faux pas like that tonight. Um, Catherine's counting them all. I appreciate it. <laughs> Just like saluting me. Out of the Protestant Reformation, here are some things they taught about faith. They said, faith involves three essential things. It involves knowledge, assent, and trust. And so by knowledge, it means that we know the object of our faith. We know who it is or, or what it is we're putting our faith in. That's the first part. The second is ascent. And that's not um, like, ascent, like ascending, all right? It, it's a different word that sounds the same. It means to agree that it's true. So you, you know what it is, the object of your faith. You agree that that is true. And then you do this, you trust it. You embrace and live as if it were true. And so it's kind of like the concept of a trust fall. Now, a lot of us have mean friends that told us to trust them and they dropped us, right? And so we get that, all right? But it's the concept, at some point, uh, I don't trust anybody to do that because that happened to me, all right? But at one point in my innocence, I trusted someone enough to trust fall because I, I functionally believed and lived as if they were going to catch me. And so that's the type of faith that we're talking about that you embrace it so much is true that you live as if it were true. Does that make sense? I'm tracking. You could say that when you have true faith, that you are fully convinced and that what happens is there are outward manifestations of your faith. There are things that point to it. All right, so here's, here's what's funny. In, in Southern kind of Christianese Bible Belt culture, all right, I guarantee you that it, in some ways, is harder to share the gospel here in Lubbock, Texas, than it is to share the gospel in the Middle East. Not for persecution's sake, but in terms of clarity, because you walk up to almost anybody, you know what they're going to say? They probably have the knowledge part down. I know God. I know of God. They may say, yeah, I believe in God. So they have this thing up here. They're like, I know it but they probably don't agree with Scripture, right? They probably don't agree with everything that God says. You, you can tell that by probably after a few minutes of talking with them and asking them about their faith. And so that's one thing. So everyone says that they know God. That's, that's a pretty common thing, right? You know, you're in agreement with that? You see a lot of people, or, or they say they don't believe in God. So they still have a concept of God. They know who he is. The second part is sometimes you encounter people, well, this is a little bit harder. A lot of people in the church that fit this next one, it's that they're, they know God and they generally agree 
with what the Bible says and what God says, what the truth of the gospel is. But there's an, so here's this, Noah agreed, but there's this entire disconnect between how they actually live. There's not the trust element. They don't have a trust fall type faith. And so there's this disconnect in between what they, they, they separate their spiritual life and just their actual life, right? And so there's the churchy version of themselves when they gather, and then there's like the every other day of the week. And obviously not all of us are, are sinners and functional hypocrites. We, we do what we don't want to do. We, we struggle with that. That's part of sanctification. But that's very common. But then there's a true and real faith, and it combines all those things together. We do it imperfectly, but it's those of us who know what the gospel is, who Jesus is. We agree with the teachings of Scripture. We hold them as true, and then we trust them completely. And that's where it goes back to grace being transformative. Our lives are transformed by the power of the gospel because we have placed this type of faith. So what you need to know, by grace we've been saved through faith, it's not talking about those that just acknowledge that Jesus exists. It's not just talking about with those who genuinely agree, like, oh, yeah, he was a good teacher. Yeah, I know that he exists, and I agree with a lot of what he says. It's those that embrace all of him and everything about the gospel. And so what we need to do tonight is we need to examine ourselves in light of true faith. We need to repent where necessary. We need to embrace Jesus and his beautiful gospel as true and actually live that out. We need to put a trustful type of faith in Jesus. Here's where it gets hard is that you're probably thinking like me, this, this, is, this is tricky. I, I'm walking this line here. This type of faith doesn't seem effortless. It sounds like a lot of work. Am, am I going that way? Is that kind of inconsistent with what I was just saying a minute ago? Like, doesn't God through the Holy Spirit create in us clean hearts, create in us a real type of faith in Jesus? And that's a good question because yes, he does. But here's something to think about. In scripture, we see in Philippians 2.12, he also says in his word that we should live out our faith. It says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So I believe one aspect of the Christian life is to look at what we actually believe and agree is true and reckon that with how we live. Does that make sense? So Jesus can't be your king and your work life or your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever be your king you reckon those type of things and so what i'm saying here is this is not to make you doubt if you have real faith it's to encourage you to actually work it out and that what you may do i'm hoping is that as you work it out and examine it what you do for your own self is you you confirm hey you're the real deal so in doing this, when I ask you, let me word my application very specific. Examine ourselves in light of true faith. What the hope is, is I want you to be confident and secure in your salvation. Right? So I'm exhorting all of us, let's live out our faith as if we really did believe all this stuff. What is the role of faith in the life of a Christian? We obtain access to this beautiful, wonderful grace gospel through putting our faith in it. A real true faith. Can we talk about the gospel for a minute? Y'all cool with that? Yeah? That's always something you, you kind of got to say yes to in <laughs> the church, right? I was, uh, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts this morning. It's called Pray the Word by David Platt. And I was listening to it. He, he reads a portion of scripture and he kind of talks about it for a very short amount of time and then he prays 
and one of the things that um, he read was out of Luke 7. And as I was hearing it read, I was hearing that passage, I thought, oh my gosh, this, is, this, this wraps up what we're talking about tonight. This wraps up the essence of God's grace and our faith. And so what I want you to do is turn to this passage with me. It's Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Luke 7, 36 to 50. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Sounds good. Anyone ask me over for food? I'm, I'm there, bro. All right, verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, I love this, this it's crazy. Simon, I have something to say to you. Oh man. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender, Jesus starts on his parable, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So a lot there, but I have something to tell you tonight. That woman had true faith. She, she understood the parable. What happened is she realized what no one else in the room realized that they were in the presence of Jesus, Messiah, Savior, King. Their God, their creator, the one in whom this massive debt was owed. So what did she do? She fell at his feet, weeping before him. She anointed him with oil on his feet in an act of love and worship to him. It's very common whenever you see a, a prophet or, or someone of honor to do this type thing. And she, to the degree of which she did it, was saying, I know who you are. She recognized who she was in the presence of. She realized how much, oh my goodness, how merciful Jesus must have been to let a sinner like her be in his presence. 
And therefore, because she understood she was forgiven much, what did she do? She understood she was loved greatly, so she loved Jesus greatly. She understood the fierceness and magnitude of his mercy, so she loved Jesus fiercely. And I, I really got to ask you, this is so important. This is a daily thing. This is something, if we don't get this, man, you throw this whole five series out the window. Let me ask you this. Do you realize how much mercy and grace that God has lavished with you tonight? Do you know that? Do you identify with this woman or do you identify with the Pharisees? Where do, where do you fall? Have you had an experience in your life where you fell before Jesus in love and worship and gratitude for all he's done for you because you recognize that in this story, you're not the one that's not sinful looking at the woman. We are that sinful woman. That's who we are. We're not the hero in this story. We're the one that's supposed to be broken and falling before Jesus. Do we see ourselves as always having everything together or do we see ourselves as someone really messed up like this woman? Because I got news for you. We're all really messed up. But Jesus came for those who were messed up and are in desperate need of all that he has to offer in what we talked about tonight. It's a glorious grace. And guess what? His people are those who are recognized by those who greatly understand how much they've been forgiven. And thus they love greatly. They worship. Oh, there we go. They love greatly. They have a true, God's God telling me to wrap it up. (laughs) They have a true, real faith in him that they live and work out daily. So a challenge for us tonight, it's time, I think, Let's lean into this, for our, that our faith started looking more like this woman in Luke 7. Amen? That's the kind of love and reverence and awe. That's how I want to be before my Lord. Not thinking I deserve an ounce of his presence and his love. And, and it's in that place that I'm going to love him the most. I think it's time that our faith brings us to daily. When you, if you haven't believed yet tonight, it's a, it's, it can be a time where the first time you fell before the Lord in repentance and cast your cares upon him and believed in what Jesus did for you and dying for your sins on the cross. But for many of us, it's time that our faith daily bring us to tears of repentance and humble brokenness, gratitude before God. And I look at this lady, she's just weeping. While we may shed these grateful tears over the marvelous grace of God, may amount to a small puddle, but get this, God shed an ocean of grace for us on the cross with his own blood whose waves wash over us and he calls us what? He calls us forgiven. Let's pray. God, thank you for these truths tonight. We thank you for your amazing grace. It truly is amazing. It confounds us. We thank you that there's not this long list of demands of all these things we have to do to sort of obtain access to it, but you meet us in that place. You lift our eyes to behold your goodness and glory. And you merely say, believe in this, put your faith in this. And I'm praying for those who haven't done this in this room. I'm praying for those that need to be reminded of this truth tonight in this room. God, you are also faithful. 
because your grace is unmerited, because of where it met us, because you brought us from death to life, we don't have to fear. So Father, we're gonna sing and declare in just a moment your faithfulness and let us hold that as true. To sing it with, with all of our lungs, with all of our breath. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you are encouraged by today's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about The Journey, check us out on Instagram or Facebook at The Journey LBK. Thanks for listening.